We're here to restore justice to the wrestling federation that our father built with his own two hands. The hands that were passed down to us. The hands that will deliver the iron clock to you. Hi, uh, welcome to Bomb Squad Matinee, episode number 14. Uh, I'm your host of Master of Ceremony, Tanner Richard Kraft, and with me I have... Hi, I'm Austin Zwiebelman. I'm Joseph Rennick. Hi, I'm a guy who has a one-second cameo in a Car Shield commercial where Ric Flair signs my head. That's true. Um, and speaking of Ric Flair, Ric Flair is actually a character in today's movie that we're discussing uh, called Around the World, Little Women for Men. We're talking about The Iron Claw, uh, Sean Durkin's latest directorial work. Um, I meant to prepare questions for this episode, but then I didn't. Oops. Uh, still, I want to try and ease us into it with, um, I guess, a warm-up question, but just sort of throwing it out there to the uh, the larger panel. Uh, which was, uh, what did you guys know about the Von Erichs, if anything, before going into the movie? I'll throw my answer out in the into the ring first, because mine's probably going to be the quickest. So I don't give a shit about wrestling. I never really did. I never grew up watching wrestling. It, it's kind of out of my wheelhouse. The only real like wrestling thing I've ever paid attention to was Andy Kaufman's wrestling career. Oh, man. Um, go, go down that rabbit hole. That's a very fun rabbit hole to go down. <laughs> but uh, other than that, I had no idea who these guys were. So, yeah, that's my history with this before the movie. So I, I knew jack shit. I yeah. like to think I know, like, kind of basic wrestling stuff. Like, I recognize The Undertaker uh, just because I've met some people who know wrestling stuff. But I'd never heard of the Von Erichs before this movie came out. And uh, I wasn't, like, super stoked on this trailer, uh, so people had to kind of, like, tell me what the plot was. Like, oh, yeah, it's this cursed family. They all died. And that's, you know, at the moment that I learned was after the movie came out so people could kind of prime me to go see it. Uh, but until, until that moment, I'd never heard of this family before. Yeah, I mean, same for me. Like, I didn't really watch wrestling much. Like I watched a little bit of uh, Friday Night Smackdown when they were airing it on the WB, but all I really got out of that was Undertaker cool. Uh, so that's that's about uh, my um, wrestling history, but uh, I remember seeing the trailer not too long before the movie came out. Thought it looked like it'd be pretty good. Um, and then I checked it out uh, as soon as I could. Uh, we'll get to that later. Tanner, you have a slightly more personal relationship to this film, don't you? Kinda. Uh, it's less that I do and more my father does. Um, so uh, this movie takes place in Dallas in the uh, during the 80s, most of the 80s, a little bit of the early 90s, uh, is when the majority of the events of this movie happened. Um, my father was a drinker. No, um, my father... And a fiend. Yeah, grew up <laughs> in Dallas, um... My dad's from Dallas. He was born in Dallas. He grew up there. Uh, he didn't come to St. Louis until like the mid nineties. Mm -hmm. And because of that, uh, my father was there when these things were happening. Uh, the Von Erics were like uh, loyal uh, royalty in Dallas, Texas. And uh, that was my connection to it. Every time I saw the trailer, I thought it, oh, it looked so, so it looked kind of cool. Thought the cinematography was great and uh, all the trailers I saw. Uh, and I don't know, the music kind of interested me, but I didn't have much more beyond that. Uh, but then one day, like a week or so before I saw it, I was watching a movie with my dad. I think it might've been the boy and the heron. Not sure. And the trailer for this came on and they're like, Oh, they're making a movie about that. Cause I found out that my father experienced these things as they were happening. 
And I'll have uh, more to say about that when we sort of get into the movie more overall. Um, but uh, that was kind of interesting about how my father knew about the story and uh, he was excited to see it. Uh, and I was excited to see it with him. Uh, but uh, what did we uh, think of the movie overall? We're going to start with the guy that really wanted this on the schedule, Tim. Yeah, I I love this movie. Um, I, again, have basically no like familiarity with wrestling. I hadn't heard of the Von Erichs prior to seeing this movie. But I, I just think it's a, a great film and a great like take on the effects of toxic masculinity and how toxic parentage uh, can infect the children that it uh, affects uh, in ways that even they, as they try to avoid it, uh, are still, you know, it still befalls them. Very early on in the movie, there's a line that um, Jack, the father, says. Uh, he's like, uh, so you all know that Carrie is the favorite brother, and then Kevin, and then David, and then Mike. Uh, and at first you hear that line and you're just thinking, wow, that's the most transparently shitty thing a parent can say to their children. Um, and <laughs> then the next thing, he... <laughs> my father was a drinker. <laughs> um, but yeah, then the next thing he says is, uh, these rankings can always change. And you learn throughout the movie that that's really just the thesis statement for his whole character. His favorite son is whoever is most useful to him at that particular time. Uh, oh, Carrie's going to be our uh, Olympic athlete. Oh, they're canceling the Olympics? All right. Uh, we're we're going to give it to David. Oh, he's dead. Uh, back to Carrie. Leg's broken. Okay. Uh, Mike, broken? you got anything? Nope. It's, it's a little bit broken. It's, <laughs> that's, it's, it's a little uh, broken. <laughs> that's one fucking way of putting it, my guy. Bro- broken off, we'll say. But yeah, basically at any point, um, the favorite son is whoever he finds the most useful. Um, and I love how the film shows that in spite of this, like the brothers all still genuinely care for each other um, uh, throughout it all. And I I would say that the character uh, that I relate to the most, at least how he's depicted in this movie, is Mike um, for a couple reasons. Uh Number one, like in this movie, I, I know I learned later that uh, there is actually a sixth Von Erickson, uh Chris, who died shortly after he did, which again, very sad. Uh, but in this movie, he's depicted as the youngest of uh, several brothers, and I have four older siblings, so I'm the, I'm the baby of my family, so I, I get that part of it. Um, and also him being sort of the artistic brother in a family full of like athletic people. And like uh, my siblings have their like artistic leanings. Uh, Like they play instruments. Uh, My oldest sibling is a really good photographer. Uh, My youngest older sibling is good at drawing and like painting figurines. But like I, I, I being somebody who pursued art as like a lifestyle and career, I feel like, I'm looked at differently sometimes I don't know like I feel like whenever I want to talk about movies uh since it's something that's important to me it comes off as like oh you're just taking this uh, silly thing too seriously sometimes um which happens in this movie like Mike is trying to talk about uh the camera angles because that's what he's interested in 
Uh, and like that was actually what he was interested in in real life. That was what he wanted to do was be behind the camera. Uh, and then his dad just like, nobody gives a shit about the camera angles. Uh, just dismissing him talking about what he's interested in, which I think just made him a really fascinating character to follow. And um, I, again, like I love that after this, all of the brothers decide we're just gonna, you know, quietly push the truck out and uh, sneak out, get you to that gig. Um, so they still love each other in spite of it all. Yeah, it's just just a lot of really great family dynamics. And um, I'll talk about the ending briefly. Uh, we, we, we have a recurring bit uh, throughout the channel, the cry counter, uh, where uh, people cry on the recordings. The little counter comes up. Tanner is at uh, a lot. Uh, Joe is at three. And uh, Ethan's at one. So far, I'm at zero. I, I, I very much thought that um, Mask of the Phantasm was going to do it for me, but it didn't. I just don't cry that much, uh, and I don't cry at movies that often. I saw this movie in theaters twice, and both times it made me a fucking wreck. Um, the the ending where Kevin is finally just uh, breaking into tears and comforted by his sons, like that gets to me every time, because uh, I think this scene is like scientifically engineered to make people like me cry because like I feel like the way I was brought up in high school like I didn't exactly have um a progressive high school that I went to so I, I I just I guess put on a tough front even if I'm not trying to and sometimes I don't let myself feel the emotions that I'm feeling but uh, in this moment he's had to put up this tough front his entire life and his dad has always told him men don't cry and he finally just gets to cry and so every time he cries, I cry with him. Uh, it's a beautiful ending to the film. And we love to see uh, the shackles of uh, toxic family finally broken. Back to you, Tanner. Yeah, good stuff. I uh, I really agree with all of that. Um, there's a particular moment that's a real tearjerker for me in the ending, but I'll, I'll get into that in my thoughts. Mm -hmm. uh, let's move on to the guy that uh, is the freshest on this movie. Uh, finished this movie like 10 minutes before recording started, Joe. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, this movie was very interesting. Um, I, I especially like the part where um, it's you, you got uh, Dakota oh Johnson's go. going into this. He, he already fuck? caught on to the bit. Uh, I, the, the, the joke was going to be, I also saw Madam Web today. Um. <laughs> Kevin Von Eric was in the Amazon with my mother as the That line's was. not in the fucking movie! <laughs> Like, they, they were not in Madam Web. What a double feature! <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's like you you go from a very mad movie to actually a really really emotionally hard movie. Like holy shit! That's uh, whiplash for you. Yeah, the, the, this movie. When you hits... when you embrace your responsibility, great tears will come. Jesus Christ! <laughs> That's why I got the sauce. I, okay, I need a second before I can talk again, because god damn it, Madam Web and Tanner making jokes about it. Um, I thought I was going to be the only one, and here he fucking goes. Okay, so, um, uh, Iron Claw, Iron Claw, uh, really good movie, um, knew jack shit about what happens in the reality of the story before seeing this, the only thing I vaguely knew anything about was rick flair not his involvement Woo! with this story but 
I knew who Ric Flair was. It's, it's hard not to know who Ric Flair is. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, no, um, it, it was a solid family movie, a very dark fucking family movie movie too a family movie it's not like this is this isn't fucking disney um god could could you imagine my father was a wrestler (laughs) and a fiend (laughs) and a heel my father was a wrestler and a heel his gimmick was based off of nazism it's really fucked up actually Um, no, that's just I, what the... Hold on. Joe, I'm not making that up. What do you think the Iron Claw's from? Oh, dear God. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not... That's not a joke I made up. That's... They don't really touch upon that in the movie. Oh, dear God. <laughs> yeah, the, the father's hole be the best. Well, when you're trying to be the villain and you're trying to be the best at the same time, that's Nazism for you. Go for broke, Nazi. Cheers. Uh, well, now I just hate the fucker even more. Holy shit. Uh, yeah, the, the, the dad character in this is a real fucking son of a bitch. Um, and he's played, like, really fucking brilliantly. Um, I, I really think, like, you want to talk about best villain performances of the last year? I think he's up there. If not, he is the best. God, I'm, I, I'm the freshest on this, and yet my thoughts on it are kind of muddled. Um, yeah, all you, I, you, didn't, you didn't have any time to let it sit with you. It's okay. This is true. I, I will say this though, uh, I, I'm and I'm pretty sure this is going to go for most of us. But yeah, the the brother that I strongly related to the most was definitely Mike. Uh, that that uh, camera angles line hit especially hard for me because I've definitely had like what the father said said to me directly mm. before. So I'm just like, yeah, I get this. Um, uh, and I'm going to get a little personal here, but um, th- th- there is a uh, I'm, and also spoilers, spoilers for the movie and also spoilers real, for life. real life. I was going to say spoilers for real life. Uh, but a couple days ago, as of this recording, it was the 10 year anniversary of my suicide attempts. And the reason this kind of triggered me a little bit was because the way that Mike uh, unfortunately passed away was very similar to how I was planning on going. And I mean, I didn't, I'm still here, but like it, it, it hit a bit of a nerve for me. May the man rest in peace. Nine, eight, nine, call that number. Extremely important. I, I, I really don't want to get too emotional on this, but it's also a very emotional movie. And I'm also just kind of jumble brained at the moment. So back to you, Tanner movie. Good. Uh, good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Uh, let's go with the man whose notes I uh, sabotage secretly, Austin Zwiebelman. Hold on a second. I'm a big baby and I shitted my... Fuck you, Tanner! God damn it! <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm reiterating a little bit. Also, guys, no matter what I say over the next four and a half minutes, uh, you're not allowed to leap out of the screen and beat the shit out of me. Okay, so to reiterate a bit from what I said earlier, I tell you what, boys, I'm not a fan of wrestling whatsoever. Most I ever got into wrestling was that really, like, tip of the iceberg normie shit. Like, like Macho Man, Randy Savage, cream of the crop, you know that fucking video? Or uh, uh, John Sandig shouting, Jesus, in that CZW promo? Or, or that Reddit copypasta about how, like, 25 years ago, on June 28th, 1998, The Undertaker threw mankind off hell in a cell and plummeted 16 feet through an announcer's table. And I only know about any of this stuff because I used to know a guy who was really into wrestling. 
Uh, the sport never really appealed to me much personally, which I guess makes this one of those situations like with Moneyball or The Big Short, where I went into this film kind of dreading it because my lack of interest in the subject matter was a thing, uh, but I shortly realized once the thing got going that this movie's about to like fast track me through some really spellbinding shit. I'm deeply mm. unfamiliar with Sean Durkin, save for like a couple of episodes of Dead Ringers that I tried to watch on the treadmill, bad move. So, so like imagine my delight when there's that black and white intro featuring the guy from Mindhunter just beating the piss out of a guy while the title card comes up. That was some like raging bull level audacious shit right there. I was pretty thrilled with the general presentation of this movie. Just like with Godzilla Minus One, this movie makes 15 million look real nice up on the screen. Also like Godzilla Minus One, the Iron Claw contains a huge, unstoppable titan who dwarfs everybody in the tri-state area, our, our charismatic leader, Zac Efron. The famed former mm -hmm. high school musical Heartthrob finally giving us a performance that outshines his role in the 2007 Hairspray remake. Boys, I genuinely cannot tell if I am grading Zac Efron on a curve for this movie. My impression of, like, modern-day Zac Efron is so low. I mostly, like, mentally associate him with stuff like that Netflix documentary series, Down to Earth, where he's kind of, like, half-acidly trying to do the Anthony Bourdain shtick, traveling around the world and sampling gourmet waters with his celebrity friends. My ongoing estimation of his affect is kind of akin uh, to how I imagine, like, Shia LaBeouf acts in person. That, that super aggro, motivational speaker bro, new age medicine type of thing. So seeing him consistently nail an accent, sell these facial expressions that convey both pure dumb joy and unimaginable pain. And put in a physical performance that should be inducted into the, the same Hall of Fame DiCaprio entered when he did The Revenant. Seeing all that stuff after thinking so little of Zac Efron for the last decade, that probably added a layer of astonishment to this experience that might have made me overestimate the general quality of his performance. My initial thought was, holy shit, it's a war crime that this guy wasn't nominated for Best Actor. But then I took a step back, and I went... What did he actually do that Alexander Skarsgård didn't do in The Northman? What did he do that Chris Davis didn't do in Big George Foreman? <laughs> Controversial take, but the end result is still me being like totally won over, if just a bit suspicious about my enormously positive feelings towards him in that role. This movie's pacing is dynamite. You can give absolutely zero fucks about wrestling, and the Iron Claw has you covered. I went into this with vague like, generalized knowledge that the Von Erich boys died really sad deaths. So I had this kind of, like, you know when you're about to cry and your eyes and your head start tingling? Uh, you get that mm -hmm. feeling in your chest, like something's about to be lost and gone forever? I had that onset feeling, that sort of, like, tingle that precedes the tears, going on constantly through the first hour of this film. Uh, this makes me sound like a basic bitch, but I think the last time I was cognitively primed to anticipate overwhelming sadness like this might have been Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Uh, shout out to whoever put those trailers together. And I was a little surprised when David, the first brother, died in that sort of unceremonious, like, no country for old men kind of off-screen way. 
No Sharon Stone in Casino kind of montage of him having a bad time in Japan, keeling over dramatically. Zac Efron's dad is just kind of sitting there at the table and is like, yep, your brother's dead. And uh, I guess that gets into sort of like an interesting aspect of the screenplay. How do you ration out sorrow in a way that actually like kind of builds like a movie? It has to ble be a really bleak type of screenwriter math. You've got four bodies you have to stack in such a way where when the last one drops, it feels climactic, like like a sadness climax. And that scene after the dude from Shameless dies, I think they sort of nailed it. Uh, there was a point, I will admit, where I was coping with the tragedy by joking uh, with my husband. Jeremy Allen White was like walking around on one leg, everybody else is dead, and I just went, Man, I'm just waiting for a piano to, like, fall out of a building and hit this guy. Uh, but even though this movie's basically, like, the artsiest Final Destination sequel I've ever seen, uh, the relatability of the characters kept me really hooked. Anyway, wrapping it up now. The Iron Claw was gripping. It do be gripping. Shit reduced me to a puddle. Surprising how entertaining it is. Certainly not a miserablest chore to get through by any stretch of the imagination. Go watch it with your dad and see if it makes him cry. Back to you, Tanner. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, I don't think my father cried to this movie, but I swear to God he did get close. He'll deny it, though. Um, everyone in the theater cried when I saw this shit opening weekend. Okay. My time to shine. Hello. Where do I start with this? Um, I wish I'd rewatched it uh, recently prior to the recording. I haven't seen it since I saw it in December. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I do love this movie. Uh, I gave it five stars, unsurprisingly. Uh, I think it's an emotionally gripping masterpiece. And I can tell you this, as someone who is a fan of Zac Efron's work um, in the last 10 years or so, uh, I can tell you uh, pretty confidently, Austin, you are not, in fact, grading him on a curve um, because uh, this is some of the best work he's ever put in a movie. Uh, I'm not going to say it's his best work ever. That, of course, will always be 17 again. Uh, but this is definitely up there for him. Um, listen, man, he acted like Matthew Perry. I, uh, that's that's cinema, baby. He acted like Matthew Perry and then like sprayed his teenage daughter with a hose and uh, some other things happened in that movie, I think. Don't know why I said it in that order. R.I.P. Matthew Perry. Uh, that's fucked up. Matthew Perry Von Eric. Can't believe he died. Um, <laughs> Oh my God! Sorry, Rip Matthew Perry. You would have loved the Iron Claw. Um, yeah, sure. That's a way. Deeply, deeply depressing movie, uh, especially because the first thirty or forty minutes or so, uh, kind of, it's kind of like a series of triumphs in a way. You know, everyone's wrestling career is going well uh, for the most part. Uh, there's the kind of sad stuff with the little brother or Carrie not getting to go to the Olympics. But then you have like the wedding scene where they all do a big coordinated dance number. And, uh, and then you watch the behind-the-scenes footage, and while most of the actors are struggling with it, Zac Efron gets the choreography down first try, because that's that musical training, baby. Mm -hmm. um, and then, like, it's like, oh, good, it's a secret shotgun wedding. She's pregnant. Everything's going great. And then the bodies start dropping. Yeah. Like, ten minutes later, and they, and they, 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 they tell you it's coming, too, even though it hits you like a trick. Because you see him in that bathroom, and he's vomiting violently, you know? violently violently like oh my god that person is dying violently uh and it still hits you like a truck and then it just gets uh it just gets worse the littlest brother dies that's super depressing uh carrie von eric loses his goddamn leg because he does a drunk motorcycling which is nuts um and a fun fact about that carrie von eric 
hid the fact he had a prosthetic leg his entire life. Uh, nobody knew about that until after he died, except like his very close family. He got into the WWF, like Vince McMahon's early thing. It was huge. Yeah. He the beginning the of what tornado. is now known as WWE. He was wrestling in that circuit with a prosthetic leg and nobody knew, um, which is insane. I think the performances across the board are really brilliant. I think the writing is really excellent. Um, I think Sean Durgan does an excellent job of taking this real life story and adapting it to the screen in such a way that it, it does naturally have this flow. The pacing's there. Uh, even if in order to achieve that, he had to remove one suicide to make it work. Uh, uh, the reasoning for it is almost funny, which is that, you know, it would have been one, too depressing, but also two, too similar to carry suicide <laughs> because they kind of killed themselves the same way. But they shot themselves in different places. So, you know, they, yeah, well, they both shot themselves, you know, point being, uh, it's very funny that that depressing bit of the story is just gone. Um, because it would have been too overwhelming for the movie. Uh, for me, though, and I alluded to this earlier, the big tearjerker moment, the, the the scene that the movie is made for is right after Carrie's death. When mm -hmm. Carrie is sort of welcome to the afterlife, he gets on a boat, and then he sees his two brothers. You know, he sees uh, Mike, and he sees David. And it's like, well, if you guys are here, where's Jack-Jack, or whatever his name is? And then this little boy comes through and... Carrie's like, you must be my big brother, Jack-Jack. <laughs> oh, fuck. Um, that really got me. Um, that's when I started sobbing. <sighs> that scene to me was really powerful, and the entire movie was building up towards that. Uh, I, don't get me wrong. Uh, the scene that Tim referred to, the scene where it's like, you know, when his children are comforting him, and he says, like, I used to have brothers, or I used to be a brother. Uh, that's a massive tearjerker, too. But for me, that scene of all of them hugging in the afterlife, and you can finally be like, Wow. They're at peace. Mm -hmm. They're finally at peace. After basically an entire lifetime of suffering, they're at peace. I found that to be a very profound, powerful moment. I got to say, this is a case of a dad who do not rock, do not be party rocking, will not be welcomed at the gates of heaven. This is an um, Excalibur to your dad. Does yeah, dog shit father. Just, just massive levels of bad unbelievable levels of bad um, dad's rot in hell baby there oh! you go, there you go. <laughs> um i'll talk a bit more about my thoughts of uh watching the movie after a break but um before we get there i just had one more thing i wanted to say which was um uh, building on tim's point earlier about how this movie is like a depiction of toxic masculinity and uh sort of the cycle of abuse uh, because it's not really explicitly talked about, but I get the impression that the Von uh, Eric Patriarch, his father, was also kind of a gigantic piece of shit. Uh, yeah, that's that's how it goes, usually. Um, it's not really explicitly touched upon, but I do think it's alluded to. And I think the talking about the cycles of abuse and the uh, toxic masculinity, I think, is really excellently well done here. And I think packaging those types of themes into a movie that just kind of looks like a wrestling movie when you see the trailer is um i think a really uh good way to try and kind of trojan horse that message into some impressionable young men that might need to see and hear these things mm, yeah. um that's all i have to say about that though so we're going to take a brief commercial break and we'll be right back welcome back 
the bomb squad uh matinee we hope you enjoyed that ad uh or ads depending on how many you got uh here's another one moviepalette.com you see that shit that's the one i uh, have for punch drunk love basically take the primary color of every frame in the movie slice it up into these little vertical chunks line it all up like that uh and you can get one of your own it's a very interesting art piece i think it uh uh can kind of blends into a more minimalist type of uh decoration or if you're more of a maximalist like me joe or tim here it also fits in that kind of piece you can see it uh, right above tim's shoulder there his Mandy one. I got my Punch Drunk Love one here. You like it, the movie fits. Kung Pao Enter the Fists? You they probably one have that one. Movie. <laughs> uh, if they don't have it already on their site, you can or custom order one as long as it's on digital, presumably. Uh, so you can go ahead and order the uh, movie palette of your dreams. Before before you hit that uh, place order button, enter the code SQUAD15 to save 15% on your order at checkout. Thank you and back to the show. So uh, I got some stuff I'm going to bring up with my dad. Uh, the big thing he talked about is that uh, that that uh, Mike's or no, not Mike. Sorry, David's funeral scene. The only one that got like a big funeral scene where like the whole city comes together. Yeah. Uh, if you notice, there are some citizens there uh, when they follow the uh, sort of entourage of the funeral pr- procession. A lot of them are carrying yellow roses. Yeah. Well, what that's about is that part of David's gimmick in the ring was yellow roses. That was a big part of all the Von Erichs was yellow roses. The movie doesn't really get into it, uh, but yellow roses was part of their gimmick. Not the day of the funeral, but like a week or two, maybe even a month later, uh, my grandma uh, took my father and my aunt, his sister, uh, drove them to David Von Erich's grave so my aunt uh, could leave some yellow roses at his grave. Uh, So when I talk about like my dad lived through these things, I mean, he lived through these things. The first time you see the Dallas Sportatorium and there's something like, oh, man, we need to get some booze here. I'll never forget. As soon as he saw the parking lot, my dad tapped me on the shoulder and was like, there's a liquor store right next to that building. <laughs> he remembered. <laughs> he remembered there's a liquor store right next to that building. Uh, conveniently out of every shot. Hmm. I think it was like a renovated shoe factory was where they, they made that set. But uh, uh, that, that would track. It doesn't. I mean, the Sportatorium was kind of a shithole. So, <laughs> they, you know, it's Texas, though. So there should have been a liquor store by the abandoned shoe factory. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're definitely, I, again, just conveniently off frame the entire time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, my dad, my dad lived through this. And uh, I think it was really cool uh, for him to see a movie about something that like he was there for. Because uh, my father uh, famously has a, a lot of historical near misses in his life. The biggest one being that if his family could, was able to afford it, uh, his class uh, went on a trip to Germany in um either late 1992 or early 1993. Uh, not exactly sure of the exact timing. Point being is that some friends of his were in Germany when the Berlin Wall fell. My father could have been there and he wasn't. So uh, I think it was cool for my dad to see a movie about something that he actually did experience on some level and it wasn't a near miss in his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's all the stuff I got to say about my dad with this movie. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Go Kevin. Tanner's dad rocks, baby. I you guys, I would agree with that. I do have a cool dad. Uh, one thing I absolutely adore about this movie was that it heavily suggests you can drive your kids to death and suicide by making your household too religious or too fixated on sports. Generally, mm-hmm. I think the number one way households get fucked up and families get ruined in America is through religion. Religion is like yeah. the heroin of fucking up your family. But sports might 
be the easily identifiable contender for number two. And holy shit, if you want to pick a deadly ass sport to worship, wrestling is the way to go! Did you know, yeah. a study, a study conducted between 1985 and 2011 showed that pro wrestlers are basically 300% more likely to die premature deaths. Fucking plus, add that to Fritz von Erich treating his kids like employees. Oof, big time recipe for disaster. Then the cherry on top of that is they mix the two together. Religion mom and wrestling promoter dad. It's like the nightmare version of Red Scare GF and Cumbtown BF. Fucking worst possible combo. <laughs> Sorry, that sentence just broke my fucking brain. Um, Jesus Christ. What movie are we talking about? Flubber? We're talking about we're talking about Madam Web. Yeah, I really like the part in Flubber where they do the basketball and the <laughs> lawyer from Scrubs. The lawyer from Scrubs is like, "That's pretty good. That's pretty good." Referring to the Iron Claw move. That's pretty good. I think uh, the Von Erichs problems would have been solved if they had Flubber. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. Just bouncing uh, all around the ring. That fucking Austin Powers ass sequence after Jeremy Allen White gets in the motorcycle crash where they're like hiding the stump. That fucking hit me like a plane. Uh, yeah. So the crazy thing about that scene, uh, speaking of my father, uh, uh, that's when my dad found out that it was that much of his leg was gone. My father thought it was just his foot, not like everything below the knee. Uh, talking about how deadly it is to be a professional wrestler. It's an incredibly, incredibly deadly profession. Um, it is, as far as I know, the only sport that competes with the NFL in terms of the number of concussions the athletes in it are getting. Um, CTE mm -hmm. is a massive problem in the NFL. It is also a massive problem in professional wrestling. However, uh, I think wrestlers have it worse because while it is a problem in the NFL and players' protections in the NFL are pretty piss poor. The NFL does have a union. There is the National Football League Players Association with collective bargaining that guarantees health care for its members. Wrestlers, and if you are a professional wrestler, nine times out of ten, if you're a big one, you're going to be on the WWE circuit. Uh, because of what uh, pieces of shit like Vince McMahon uh, have determined with the WWE, Wrestlers under WWE, Worldwide Wrestling Entertainment, are not considered employees. They are all considered independent contractors. They are not guaranteed health care benefits. They're given, quite frankly, pretty shit pay for the amount of revenue that a lot of them generate for the WWE. Of course, the big stars like The Rock, John Cena, Roman Reigns, or Brock Reznor, they're doing fine. But the um, a lot of the sort of up-and-comers, the rank-and-file people, uh, aren't being really well compensated. They are working some of the most intense hours out of any athletes on the planet uh, because the WWE doesn't really have an off season like the NFL or the NBA or MLB has. Mm -hmm. um, the amount of abuse uh, that wrestlers have to undergo for uh, uh, their ability to entertain us is massive. And it's pieces of shit like Vince McMahon uh, that are making it all the more difficult for them to have functioning lives afterwards. There was a, um, a former professional wrestler whose name escapes me right now, who famously did a murder-suicide of his family. Chris uh, Benoit, his right? Chris Benoit, thank you, sorry. Chris Benoit famously killed his family and then killed himself. And I don't think the autopsy results have ever been released, 
uh, or if it has, I can't remember correctly, but I do know that the WWE didn't want his autopsy to be released because the WWE didn't want anyone to know that Chris Benoit's paranoid delusions were almost certainly caused by the CTE he gained after repeatedly getting concussions within the WWE. And uh, the WWE uh, apparently knew Chris Benoit died before anyone else did because Chris Benoit's Wikipedia page was updated to reflect that he died before it was ever publicly announced he was died. And the IP address that made the edit was traced back to WWE headquarters. So I don't know where I'm going here. Uh, I'm just throwing out there that uh, if you know any professional wrestlers, uh, you got to show them a lot of respect. I know that it's easy to say that it's fake um, and it is scripted. The outcomes are predetermined. The damage they are doing to their bodies is not fake. Um, rant over. That's that's something I would because uh, it's kind of like a when you realize Santa isn't real moment. Uh, like when you first realize that wrestling is fake, right? I thought this movie treated that topic really nicely, explaining mm. the way the wrestling industry works around the whole fact that it's like prearranged and stuff. Because for a lot of people, including me, for like a time when I was younger, that was a huge turnoff. Was hearing that it's Same. like scripted in advance and stuff like that. Uh, and they choreographed the fights and everything. But uh, this movie, uh, Zac Efron has that great speech when he's, like, you know, going on that date with Lily James, kind of explaining. Like, it's still, they're like ballet dancers. Like, they still physically have to do it. That's 100 fucking percent real. And the risk mm. is real. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I thought this movie, and also who gets to win a fight is interesting. Zac Efron calls it basically, like, based on whether or not you're popular, it's like getting a promotion, when you, they decide mm. you get to win the fight beforehand. I thought this tackled that subject excellently. Yeah, I, I do think this movie does a fantastic job of explaining the uh, the ins and outs of wrestling and how that stuff works and how who gets to win, who gets to lose, who lives, who dies, who tells your story kind of thing. Um, I think it explains the intricacies of it incredibly well. Again, I'm not exactly a wrestling fan. I just, um, I have a passion for workers' rights. So <laughs> that, yeah. that's why I went on the rant I just did. I don't watch wrestling that much. Uh, I'll watch highlights sometimes. It looks kind of fun. It's soap opera for men. Who doesn't like a good soap opera every once in a while? Yeah, there we go. Yeah, like I, I that's how I feel like when when SAG after was going on strike and pe people on like fucking IGN comment sections or something would just be like, uh, well, they should know that what they're doing is dangerous. Uh, they should they should go in expecting that. Like, no, they should still like get protections. Like, they're still doing work, and you shouldn't be in danger when you're doing work. If there are occupational hazards, you should have insurance. I was gonna say, it's like going into a welding job. It's like, you should still fucking be protected by your company. Because, yeah, like, accidents are probably going to happen. You shouldn't yeah. just be like, oh, well, you should have fucking expected it at your job. Fuck you. Which is why you need, uh, which is why uh, the workforce needs unions in order to have a uh, snowball's chance in hell for you to have proper worker protections. If you are currently working in an ununionized workplace, I would love to encourage you to talk to your fellow employees without management hearing and just talk to them, broach the subject of a union, because I promise you the protections you will be provided and the strength you have in numbers is uncomparable to what you have right now. This this is turning into advocating for unionizing your workplace podcast. Please do it. Speaking of unions, uh, this was like the A24 movie that got the kind of interim okay to keep filming during the strike. Because A24 was like, yeah, we'll sign whatever, boss. We love you. Oh, they have a great mm -hmm. relationship with the union. So this was like one of those movies that like 
uh, you know, got to film on 9-11, like Master of Disguise and Rules of Attraction. It was like during this big drought, they were just fucking doing Iron Claw over in Texas or Louisiana or wherever this was filmed. You know, speaking of the strikes, uh, this actually reminds me of something. Let's go back to Madam Web. So, Joe was telling us before the recording about how the villain of Madam Web, all of his dialogue is ADR'd, right? I have a theory as to why this is. His scenes were reshot after the writer's strike started, but before the actor's strike started. I can't prove this. I can't prove this. I have no proof this is the case. But in my heart of hearts, I know this is what happened. It would explain why all of his dialogue is ADR'd. That character was not working before the strike, so they needed to rewrite it, but they couldn't because the writers were on strike, but they could still film the bastards. I can't prove it, but in my heart of hearts, I know this is what happened. Let's go on a whole Pepe Silvia adventure with this. We, we, we need to find the real answers. Come on, throw me some numbers. The truth is out there. We're, 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 we're going to, you, you know what? I, I know where the answers lie. I, I'm just going to announce it right here on the podcast. I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. Hell it. yeah! <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> All right, here we go. Lincoln is my grandfather or something. I don't know. All right, boys, if we had to remove one Best Actor nominee uh, to slot Zac Efron in, uh, who would we drop? Uh, let's see. Uh, I know, I know, I know. Uh, Bradley Schnauzer. I'm sorry, Cooper. Yeah, we got Cillian Murphy for Oppenheimer, Paul Giamatti for The Holdovers, Bradley Cooper for Maestro, Jeffrey Wright for American Fiction, and Coleman uh, Domingo for Rustin. Bradley Schnauzer, Cooper. I agree with Tanner. I agree with Tanner hundred percent. I, I haven't seen all of them, but yeah, I'm I'm joining the Bradley Cooper camp on this one. Uh, honestly, yeah, it's like that's I haven't even seen the movie, but I can guarantee that that wasn't even Bradley Cooper's best performance of the year. No, I guarantee you it isn't either. It's not even his second best. Oh, Rocket Raccoon. Yeah, wow. I was gonna say. I was gonna say that's that's the best performance uh, fucking Bradley Cooper gave all year. And his second best performance is when he played a little guy in Dungeons and Dragons. Oh right, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, I didn't just make it up. To be quite honest, I forgot about the Dungeons here, and Dragons. Here, movie. if you want to know what my here's here's Bradley Cooper and Maestro. Sorry, my darling. I must do a line of cocaine and have sex with men. I mean, I love you, darling, but it's just that for two and a half hours. He sounds like he has a cold the entire time, and I swear to God, it's because the prosthetic nose is putting pressure on the bridge of his nose like this. And that's why he's talking like he has a cold the entire time. The, the prosthetic nose is affecting his sinuses. Oh my god. It would have been so funny. Bradley Cooper wants that Oscar so bad. Maestro is such Oscar bait. Imagine if he, like, lost out on the nom to high school musical guy. That would be good. Here's the thing. Bradley Cooper, the director, maybe deserved a nomination for Maestro. Bradley Cooper, the writer, maybe deserved a nomination for Maestro. Mm -hmm. uh, Bradley Cooper, the actor, uh, I'm sorry, did not... And again, it really just comes down to the nose. It's so goddamn distracting. It's like if in this movie, every time Carrie Von Eric was on screen, there was a blue sleeve sock around his leg and they just forgot to edit it out. <laughs> kind of reminds me of when Scoop McNary was in uh, Batman v Superman. Uh, and remember how he has like his legs blown off in that movie? But when the BTS photos of him first leaked uh, and he was wearing the green socks, everyone went, the Riddler! Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> you remember that? Sorry. That just oh. came to my head. Comic book nerds, I fucking hate you. I fucking hate all of you. You're, you're idiots. I fucking hate all of you. 
Tell us how you really feel. Fuck comic book nerds. Isn't there a comic uh, book behind you right now? <gasps> yeah, there's probably a couple of them. And I love comics, but I fucking hate comic book nerds. Oh, that's they're the, fair. They are the, it's, they are the it's scum like, of the fucking earth. Fuck those guys. It's like liking Star Wars, but hating Star Wars fans. Exactly. <laughs> so let's get into The Last Jedi, guys. There we go. Pink hair. Let, let, let's get into why Madam Web actually is like the worst movie ever made, like everyone's fucking claiming it is. Of course it isn't, because you know what the worst movie ever made actually is? <laughs> Darling, I'm sorry, I'm gay and I must do cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> I was, it's like, I was literally just about to say maestro, and then he just kind of confirmed it. <laughs> Darling, I'm sorry, I must do cocaine. There, you, you know, in the past five years or so, a male character doing cocaine has somehow become shorthand for he's gay. When, when did this happen? You notice this? Maestro did this. Bohemian Rhapsody did this. American Fiction does this. And I loved American Fiction. I also gave that movie five stars. But Sterling K's Brown character does a fat line of coke. And then it's like, oh, he's gay. This is this is a new thing Hollywood's doing. Is is cocaine addiction gay now? Holy well, I, I, is it gay to snort a rail? I, I was Only literally, if it's off a male stripper's ass. I was it's kind of gay if you do it then. I was literally just about to ask because, guys, I'm straight as fuck. Is snorting coke a gay thing? Yeah, I'm sorry. You have to get a new after school hobby, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, Let's let's talk about the Gatorade get hype moment. The Tom Sawyer moment. Yes. Yes. The Tom Sawyer needle drop is so good. Especially because, like, Carrie's just working out and then you just kind of hear it, like, in the background, like. Yeah, it's so, so good. good. I I I saw a tweet that like put it so perfectly. It's just like uh this movie uh with that scene, it toes the line so perfectly of being like genuinely emotional but also dudes rock. Uh like it 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 tackles the like criticism of toxic masculinity but also sometimes dudes rock and I love that. Dudes do be party rocking sometimes. Uh which is why my uh my uh Snyder cut version of uh, the Iron Claw, the movie's entirely the same, except instead of playing Tom Sawyer by Rush, uh, it's it plays Party Rockin' by LMFAO. No, no, hang on, hang on, hang on. The Snyder cut of the Iron Claw, instead of Tom Sawyer, it's twenty one twelve. Yes, it's just the whole thing. <laughs> Fuck the yes, thing. the whole album. <laughs> it's a seventy minute montage. Just fucking Jeremy Allen White on a motorcycle while Fly My Night fucking plays. Just the whole movie is a Rush musical now. Ooh. Oh, is it? Is it like that thing where like if you put Wizard of Oz on mute and then play Dark Side of the Moon or whatever, <laughs> it like syncs up? Can you put the Iron Claw on mute and then put the entirety of Twenty One Twelve? Does it sync up? So like going into this movie, I had only seen the trailer and I hadn't like really looked into the cast of this movie. So like. Number one, as soon as Jeremy Allen White comes on screen and they show him doing the Olympic training, I'm just like, wait, why the fuck is the guy from the bear here? When did this happen? <laughs> when I watched the trailers, I went, oh, hey, it's that guy on Twitter from the underwear ad. Except that the, the underwear ad was in January. Uh, this joke is over. There we go. And then number two, like, uh, I, I'll admit I haven't exactly uh, caught up with uh, Zac Efron's career. I hadn't been following him. So as soon as the credits start rolling and Zac Efron's name came, comes up, I'm just like, that was Zac Efron? What you didn't fuck? recognize him the whole time? Not even a little bit. It looks like him. What? 
I haven't seen him since I was in middle school. Tanner. He barely is aged. Tanner, there's like two million milliliters of HGH between High School Musical Zac Efron and now. He's got okay, so much Roy in him. if you're like me, if you're like me and you watch 17 again starring Zac Efron at least once a month, you never forget a face. That's fair. Can we do an episode on 17 again? No. Next oh, next week on... <laughs> I'm canceling award show. We're doing 17 again instead. No. Okay. <laughs> Iron Claw again. Yeah. We just keep this is therapy claw. now. Talking about We're the Iron just, Claw. We we call we label the episode the wrestler, but we just talk about the Iron Claw again. <laughs> and then the week after that we'll label the episode um Nacho Libre, but it's just us talking about the Iron Claw again. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> And then one week we'll call it the Phantom Menace, but we'll actually talk about Osmosis Jones. Hell yeah. There we go. Hell yeah. That's, that's a, a deep cut. That's that is a deep, deep, cut. deep cut that three of you will understand. Only real yep. ones. One thing I didn't detect from this film was that the end credit song, that song that like Mike originally plays at the college party, mm -hmm. was originally made for this film. Uh, the song mm -hmm. is called Live That Way Forever by Richard yep. Reed Perry, the dude the dude from Arcade Fire, uh, Little Scream, and the Bar Brothers. These, like, three Montreal-ass dudes wrote a song that I genuinely was convinced was just another 1980s deep cut. They did such a good job of nailing that retro feel. I, I did yep. not know that was made for the movie! Yeah, teaser, teaser for my awards ballots. That's my number one for original song. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Mamma Mia. Here I go again, mama. How can I res You guys see that Greece legalized gay marriage? Yeah! Hell yeah! I was, I was shocked that it, it wasn't already. I mean, Mama Mia takes place there. That's kind of gay. You can have gay sex, but you can't get gay married. Oh, I love that part in Closing Time, Semisonic, or Semisonic's Closing Time. One last call for alcohol, so finish your cocks or your dicks. <laughs> We're getting. Now this has come down. But wait, wasn't Greece like the original gay state? I know. Mm -hmm. <sighs> the Greeks were fucking they cock in ass. Cock and dies. My my understanding is they were they were marrying women to bear their children and then having fun with dudes. But it's like no homo though. Ancient Greece was like totally okay. So the funny thing about uh, ancient Greece is that there was definitely bottom discrimination. Like, if you were a yeah. top, if you were a top, it was cool and okay. Uh, if you were a bottom, you were a dirty fucking queer. Uh, so that's just kind of how it worked in ancient Greece. Man. Yeah. <laughs> Iron Claw. The, the, the greatest move of all time. You guys think fl Flubber could work as lubricant? No. Sure, buddy. <laughs> the viscosity and, like, it's sticky. I don't think so. Anyone have any more things to say before I ruin our lives? I, it's it's kind of tonally inconsistent from Flubber is Lube. Uh, I, I do have this one story from the real-life okay. Von Erics that please, I... Please I, share. I have to get out. Uh, one real-life Kevin Von Erics story that really made me cry when I heard it uh, happened kind of after the events of the movie. So after all four of his brothers died, Kevin Von Erich also caught the bug. He sunk so low that he wanted to die. Uh, one day, he thought that the solution to his problem was going to prison. Like, get away from it all. So he walked into a gun store in Lubbock, Texas, uh, with the intent of getting arrested for stealing a firearm. 
Then uh, there was this old man there who ran the store and two other old guys uh, with him near the counter. Kevin looked at the store owner dead in the eyes. He grabbed a rifle and he told the owner, sir, I'm going to steal this here rifle. And the old man looked back at him quietly for a while, like that way that an old, old man does. And then he just kind of quietly said, love you, Kev. And, and the man just let Kevin walk out of the store with the rifle. And Kevin went back to the car, like thinking about the magnitude of what just happened to him. Then he went back in the store, gave the guy back the rifle, and he hugged him. And Kevin told the man, I love you too, sir. And uh, he marks that event as like a kind of turning point in his life that helped him get back on Fuck track. Fuck me. Fuck me. I'm so I needed to share that. Fuck. It's beautiful. I watched a real life documentary just to kind of see like how the film was different from real life. And he's even cooler in real life. People should go like listen to him talk about what happened to him and his family. You think Zac it, Efron's fun to watch? The real Kevin is even better. It's um, it's a miracle that Kevin Von Erich is still with us. And he has such mm -hmm. a big, healthy, happy family. So big that one of those kids could fly. <laughs> oh, yeah. no, no, he wasn't flying. They covered that kid in flubber. <laughs> so, so that explains why that fucking kid is just so high up in the goddamn air in that picture at the end. I'm I love <laughs> episodes where the movie Flubber has been brought up. Men in Black, The Iron Claw. Sure, that's a triple Many feature. Triple feature, Flubber, uh, Men in Black, Flubber, The Iron Claw. That's the triple feature. Fuck the Madam Web, Iron Claw, double feature. Fuck the, uh, sorry to bother you, Mamma Mia 2, double feature. The triple feature to die for is Men in Black, Flubber, Iron Claw. Book it. There we go. <laughs> Joe, final thoughts. Uh, final thoughts, movie good. Um the I, I said this about the very end of the movie, um, but the, the the end of this movie is like the ending of Stand by Me. If the kids weren't little shits, because the kids in this movie are like, oh, it's okay to cry, Dad. It's okay. Like they're, they're breaking the cycle of toxic masculinity, masculinity, and letting him kind of heal his wounds emotionally. Meanwhile, the kids in Stand By Me are like, ah, he's just writing on his fucking computer again. We want to go get some fucking chicken nuggets, Dad. <laughs> it's like, it's like, what? You act like your fucking friend got stabbed in the throat at a McDonald's or something, Dad. It's like, did you write that in your book? Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, uh, fuck, fuck the kids at the end of Stand By Me. They're they're little shits, but these kids are cool. And uh, the Iron Claw. Hell yeah. Oh. Tim, final thoughts? Yeah, that's right, Tanner. I got something I want to say to the Academy. Now, you've been warning your mouth for way too long about what you think is the epitome of cinematic excellence. But come March 10th, I'm coming for you. And I got a surprise for you. And his name is Zac Efron! Austin, final thoughts. In a world where you have Chris Benoit, Owen Hart, uh, Eddie Guerrero... Uh, the story of the Von Erich brothers still might be the saddest moment in the history of wrestling. Save for that time, 25 years ago, on June 28th, 1999, 
when The Undertaker yeah, threw mankind off hell in a cell and plummeted, plummeted 16 feet through an announcer's, the announcer's table. table. All right, shitty morph. Fair enough. The movie's brilliant. Uh, it is one of the best movies about wrestling ever made. Um, it is one of the few good movies about wrestling ever made that is not WWE propaganda. It's a brilliant film, a very emotional film. I love it to bits and I can't recommend it enough. Uh, you can watch it on digital now, but you should have saw it in the theater when you had a chance. Uh, and that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Bomb Squad Matinee. Uh, thank you very much for uh, tuning in. We really appreciate it. Um, if you're listening on any of the audio platforms we're on, thank you very much. Go ahead and leave us a review. It boosts us in the algorithm or something. I don't know. Uh, if you are listening on any other platforms, how about you mosey on out over to our Patreon, throw a couple bucks our way. Uh, make it so this is not an operation I am losing money on every month. That'd be cool. If you're watching this on YouTube, thank you again oh so very much for watching. Uh, go down to the comments section below and let me know what's your favorite movie about wrestling. What did you think about the Iron Claw? Uh, what's your favorite performance in the Iron Claw? Do you think that this is going to open up new uh, doors and avenues in Zac Efron's career? And uh, finally, uh, do you think Flubber would make a good lubricant in sexual intercourse? Comment below and let me know. Uh, and while you're down there, hit the like button so we know how much you like us. Hit the subscribe button so we know how much you love us. And hit the bell icon so you can know exactly when we upload new videos. Thank you again so very much for watching. Tune in next week when we talk about our uh, first new movie of 2024 and my favorite movie of 2024 so far, Lisa Frankenstein. That should be a lot of fun because uh, yeah. it's a very fun movie. So we'll see you guys then, all right? Thank you again for watching. Bye. Farewell.